0: Well, we're going to think about the Bible now. You don't need to grab it, but I'm going to think about what Easter means and some of what God is trying to teach us through Easter. Uh, Oh, I've lost my helper. Where's Sam? Sam, you abandoned me. No, he's abandoned me. (laughs) It's the problem with having a wife who's awesome at crafts. is that you regularly get abandoned by your helpers. Okay. So, what Sam was going to uh, introduce uh, was my uh, most popular Christmas present this year. Now, I don't. I know that this is probably an unusual time for me to introduce my most popular Christmas present, but the most popular Christmas present I was given uh, this year is uh, one that's been shared around the house and that regularly my and that Sam has a particular affinity for, and it's this book. Uh, It's called Optical Illusions. Uh, It says something to view whilst you're on the loo, and. It's full of these images. Images that appear one way at first, and then something shifts in the way we see the image. And we realise that the way we were looking at it was wrong, or at least that it was incomplete. We didn't really see what was there. The book is endlessly fascinating. Sam will spend hours sat there looking at it, uh, if I let him. I can't really explain it properly, so I I downloaded a video that illustrates what I mean. Uh, The first time I saw this on the internet, it really blew my mind. So, I'm going to show it to you. This is. See if you can get your head around what's going on here before the reveal. You see the image from one side and it it feels as if something's happening and you can't quite explain why it is. It looks like one thing, it looks like a house where there are balls somehow magically being held in the centre of the roof rather than (laughs) falling to the side. But when we see it from the other side, it becomes clear that everything we thought we were seeing is wrong. Everything we thought we were seeing is wrong. It's not really a house where the balls are miraculously sitting at the top of the triangle rather than rolling down the sides. It's really a trough where the balls are rolling into the middle, as you'd expect them to. Everything that we thought we were seeing turns out to have been wrong. Now, there are moments like this in life. There are moments when something happens that changes How we see the world around us. Changes how we see ourselves and others. It's easy to think of such moments on a global scale. Uh, You can think of the fall of the Berlin Wall, I guess, is one such moment where the world seemed to change. Realised that we were seeing the world differently. I, I, I remember vividly a conversation with my father when I was younger. He said to me, Phil, what you don't understand is that I genuinely, when I was a child, thought of Eastern Europe in black and white. That's all we ever saw. All we ever saw was black and white footage coming out from behind the Iron Curtain. You never saw anything else. So, I never... I mean, I guess I knew it was in colour. But I never pictured it that way. And the Berlin Wall falls and suddenly the world changes. Or, for a more recent example, you might think of the fall of the Twin Towers in uh, America. I remember Tony Blair giving a very famous speech immediately after that happened. And he said, the kaleidoscope is being turned... And he was, what he was saying that the world has changed, and we're going to see it differently now. Or we can think of, perhaps on a personal scale, something much smaller. It might be exam results. That one gets into a university, to a school that one is hoping for. Or that one gets married or has a child. Moments which change the way we see it. It's like we've turned around the model and we're seeing it from the other side it's still the same thing but we've come to see it differently in a more complete way they are if you like turning points turning points Easter Sunday is the ultimate example of one of these moments I'm going to read the, the story that we read earlier I'm going to read it again don't worry about reading along with me because I quite like the idea of it being read to us which is how most people would have experienced it After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who's crucified. He's not here. For he has been raised. As he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He's been raised from the dead. And indeed he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. And ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet and worshipped him. The life of Jesus is the great turning point in Western history. It is literally the moment by which we measure everything else. For thousands of years we've recorded our dates, the, the literal thing that we measure everything else by, by the year we think Jesus was born. Uh, It it amuses me that uh, in academia, where I spend some of my time working, uh, the uh, acronyms BC and AD are now PASSE. We're not allowed to use them anymore. They've been replaced by CE for Common Era and BCE for Before the Common Era. And the idea is that you... It's a, it's a, it's a. I can see people tutting, but it's a, it's a sensible uh, proposal in some ways, I guess, because if you've got scholars working from different uh, traditions and uh, and cultures, then uh, they might find that difficult to sc- to stomach. Uh, and yet, when you uh, ask what the date is by which the C.E. the Common Era starts and B.C.E. finishes, it turns out to be the birth of Jesus. In a says you can't escape him. Even when we try to escape him, we can't escape him. Indeed, it seems to be peculiarly appropriate that the common era, the era in which God is common to everyone, begins with the birth of his son. Whether you like Jesus or not, or whether you think it's for better or for worse, he is the point around which history turns. It's worth asking what makes his life so remarkable. Such a moment of significance for the history of the world. Unusually it was its end. You see, Jesus was a great teacher. That's beyond doubt. You won't find anybody who doesn't believe that Jesus was a great teacher. His moral and ethical teaching has been the cornerstone of law for much of the world for thousands of years. But there have been other great teachers. Jesus was a great religious leader. He showed people God in a way they'd never experienced before. But there have been countless other religious leaders. Jesus was a great wonder worker. He did miracles and healed people. But there have been other wonder workers. There are countless stories of miracles and healings from across the globe. If you come to this church regularly, and if you're not a regular member here, I would encourage you to do so. You will hear stories from inside this church of how God has done amazing things. And healed people's bodies and healed their hearts. Something happened to Jesus that made him more than a teacher, leader or wonder worker. Or rather revealed him to be more than a teacher, leader or wonder worker. There was a turning point that changed not only how we saw him, but how we see everything. That's why he's the central moment of Western history, because he changed how we see everything. Jesus was executed, he died, he was buried, and he returned to life again. This isn't just a quaint and eccentric religious belief. It's a fact of history. Well attested by eyewitnesses, and both friendly and hostile testimony. Men and women far brighter than me have written extensively about this. It's been considered in depth by historians, by journalists, by theologians, by philosophers and judges. You can read some of their conclusions in the books we've got at the back. Usually the story starts out like this. There was an interested person, very, very bright, a philosopher or a judge or a journalist, and he said, I'm going to set out to prove to my Christian friends why it was that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Spent six months with the evidence and concluded that he did. In some ways, if you've read one of these books, you've read them all. They are just coming at it from different angles. When I studied law, the greatest English legal mind that I encountered was Lord Denning. He had more influence on English law in the last century than anyone else. Comfortably the most influential English law of a hundred years. A hundred years in which English law became the centrepiece of much of global law. And he was at the heart of it. Lord Denning spent almost 40 years as the president of the Lawyers' Christian Fellowship. He once said of all the books in his library, the Bible was the most tattered from use. If you've never taken the trouble to work out whether you think that Jesus rose from the dead, there is plenty of evidence to consider. Why not take the trouble to find out what you really think? You could pick up one of the books from the back. You could come to Alpha. We've got another course beginning in September to find out what you think. It's worth thinking whether all these people, some of the cleverest minds in history, had a point. Today I don't want to spend time arguing for the resurrection of Christ. Other people have done that more ably than me. I want to think about the implications for us if it's true. If it is true, if we're here truly celebrating that Jesus is alive, then what does it mean? Well, it changes how we see him. If he has power over death itself, then he's not merely a man. I don't know if you noticed, at the end of the reading we had, they fell down at his feet and worshipped him. For Jews, this was an extraordinary moment. That was blasphemy itself, and yet they realised that only God has power over death. If Jesus is alive, Jesus rose from the dead, he's God come among us and worthy of our attention and allegiance. It changes how we see ourselves. I don't know, uh, each of you, all of you, I don't know whether you struggle in the quiet moments when you're not wearing all your best gear, dressed up for church on Easter Sunday, whether you struggle in those quiet moments to believe that you really are significant. That you're worth something. If Jesus came, if God came and suffered and died and rose over death for you, then it means in God's mind you're worth everything. In God's mind you're worth everything. That's why uh, one of the songs we regularly sing uh, has a uh, verse in it which says, you didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus you brought heaven down. It's expressing a really important idea that God came because he chose to come, because he loves you. And me. changes how we see ourselves. God considered it, your life and mine, worth enough to pass through death for us. It changes how we see life. If death is the end of life, if there's nothing more than simply eating and drinking because tomorrow we die, then life is pointless. It's a bit bleak, isn't it? Well, it is a bit bleak. What Nietzsche realised, you go, if we're unpicking great minds of history, Friedrich Nietzsche, one, one of the great philosophers of the Western tradition, he didn't believe in God, <coughs> he said, God is dead for we have killed him. He thought he'd gone past the need for God and he was terribly depressed because he realised that life is meaningless. There is no meaning to what we do because nothing will endure. Yet if Christ conquered death, if there is more to life than this... Then we have meaning and purpose. Your life now has a significance that lasts beyond death into eternity if Jesus is alive. Our choices now build something that lasts beyond the few fleeting years we have here. It's part of something bigger. A mosaic that God is building into the most beautiful picture that will last for all eternity. If Jesus rose from the dead, we can be part of something bigger, more significant, enduring and purposeful than we ever dreamed. The flip side is also true. If Jesus came back from the dead, if Jesus rose from the dead, then what we do here really matters. It really matters how we treat each other. It really matters how we treat God. We can't just dismiss other people. We can't just be racist or prejudiced. We can't simply be unkind or cruel because it matters. It changes how we see suffering. If Jesus suffered and died and yet overcame death, it gives us hope for the future. Again, I don't know each one of you, I don't know what you're going through, but suffering, in the light of the cross of Christ, is not the final word on this world. No more is death. There is hope for a life beyond suffering and pain. Because Jesus is alive. My friends, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus is the turning point of history. It changes everything and everyone who sees it. In a sense, it is like walking into a room that was dark, where the lights have been turned on. You can shut your eyes if you want, but you can't escape the light. It changes everything and everyone who sees it. It can change your life now and give you hope for the future. I don't know where you are with Jesus. But if you want that change, if you want that life, if you want that hope, that new perspective, if you want to go through with him, through the valley of death, the shadow of death, and into eternal life, then he's standing there and saying, come and follow me. Come and follow me. There are 2.3 billion, or thereabouts, more now, Christians in the world. A third of the world's population have had their minds changed, have moved to the other side of the model. And Christ is there and he says, come and follow me. How do we do that? Well, we say sorry to God for the way we've lived. We ask for a new start, we're baptised and we receive the life of Jesus inside us. It could be the greatest turning point in your life. It could be the greatest turning point in your life. Now I'm conscious that we don't get time to sit and to reflect and to be quiet. So I'm going to leave a few minutes now, just quiet time. And if you are somebody who prays, I'm going to encourage you to pray. If you're somebody who's not sure whether there even is a God up there, I'm just going to encourage you to sit there and be quiet and allow your heart to speak to you. Because we believe that God speaks to our hearts. If you just want to sit and be quiet, then that's fine. And after that, we're going to get the kids to put on the cross the butterflies and the new life that they have made. And we'll give an opportunity for grown-ups. If you want to come and you want to stick a, a, an and say, yes, to direct my life, I want you to point the way for me. And that's a chance for you to respond that and do that with them. For the moment, let's just be quiet. And then we'll worship together.